Good morning. So good to be with you uh, here in the house. I want to extend a special welcome to everyone worshiping with us online or any location. We love you. We are glad that you're in the house. If you're, if you're in this room right now, would you put your hands together and welcome everyone in that room there? We're glad you're a part. Uh, first, uh, before I get into our, our message today, I want to uh, just acknowledge Talman Clear. Talman, would you stand up real quick? Talman has just been approved as a legal member of our church. Can we welcome him? Talman's been a, an illegal member of the church since his birth, but now he's a legal member of the church. So we're in a series right now called Last Words. We're looking at the last words that prominent Bible figures have said, and, and this week we're going to be in James. So if you want to turn to the book of James, chapter 5, you can do so. That's where we're going to be today, James, chapter 5. Interestingly, the book of James was probably one of the first books in the New Testament that were ever, was ever written. Um, and, and although we have the last words that James wrote in his book, in James, chapter 5, it's a pretty safe bet that these weren't his last actual words. Um, you see, historians tell us that James died a martyr's death, um, either stoned or by being thrown from the top of the temple tower. So I think it's a pretty safe bet his words were a little bit closer to, ah! <laughs> Don't look at me that way, John. You laugh, what's that say about you? <laughs> Come on. There's three prominent Bible figures named James. The first is James the disciple. This is who we often think of when we hear James. You know, James and John, the sons of, sons of Zebedee. James the disciple, yeah, this isn't him. He didn't write this book. There's also James the lesser, the other disciple. Like, I just, okay, like, what would it be like to be known as James the lesser? Or like Adam, the lesser one, the less significant one. Like what? Bummer. Not nearly as bad as it would have been to be this James that wrote this book. James, the brother of Jesus. Can you imagine what it would be like to grow up the brother of Jesus? James, why don't you pick up your room? Jesus did. <laughs> Report card day. Mom and dad, look at Jesus. They get James. Well, he's no Jesus. I mean, this would have to be a, quite a challenge for, for James, but, but, but he got over it. He got over it. You see, uh, I can hear some of you thinking right now, Jesus' brother, how did Jesus have a brother? I thought Mary was, you know. Let me set the record straight. Uh, the, the conception of Jesus was immaculate. The conception of James was uh, immaculate. Is that a word? I don't know, look it up. Mary and Joseph were wed to be engaged and they had not consummated their relationship and Jesus came into being. That was an immaculate conception. And then Mary and Joseph got married and had normal conceptions. So Jesus' mom was Mary. Jesus' dad was Father God. James' mom was Mary. James' dad was Joseph. So that's how Jesus had a brother. He came to faith after the resurrection of his big half-brother, and Jesus actually showed up 
to this James that wrote the book of James. After the ascension, Peter led the church in Jerusalem. I'm giving you some history so you know where he's coming from. Peter led the church in Jerusalem for a while, but Peter traveled a lot. If you read the book of Acts, Peter was out and about. So it was hard for him to lead the church in Jerusalem when he was out and about. So James stayed put in Jerusalem, and he was the pastor of the, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. That was, he became pastor, Pastor James at that point. And there was a great persecution of the Jews that lived in the region. And so many of those Jews in Jerusalem scattered about. So here's Pastor James, and his church has scattered He's still responsible for the Christians here, but all these people that he loved, they moved out. They live in different areas. And so he got out some papyrus and he wrote out five chapters, the book of James, to the scattered church, to his church that he wanted to to continue to minister to. If you read between the lines, this is is one of the first examples of multi-site ministry. For real. The technology was papyrus. And he's putting his ministry out. And church tradition noted that James had exceptional holiness. He was known as uh, James the Just. This James, the brother of Jesus. History reports that the knees of the saintly James were like those of a camel due to the unusual amounts of time he spent on his knees before God. How funny is it that the dude had such knobby knees that history wrote about it? Like, the dude's, the dude's knees are knobbly. He prayed a lot. Like, I want to pray so much that I have a reputation of having knobbly knees. Like, that'd be cool, right? Maybe it'd be painful. If that's true, then it makes sense that James' last words in his letter to his dispersed church have to do with prayer. The last words of James, uh, James chapter 13 through the end of the chapter, have to do with prayer. We're going to pick it up today in James chapter 5, verse 13. James' last words. James 5, 13. James writes, Is anyone among you in trouble? Then let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Number one, the first thing we learn from James' last words is that prayer is appropriate in every situation. In this verse, verse 13, we, we see James is highlighting polar opposites. If you're happy, pray. Are you in trouble? Pray. Stephen Curtis Chapman had a song about that in 1996 or so. Let us pray, let us pray, everywhere and every way, every moment of the day, it is the right time. Yeah, so people were smiling at me like, oh, that's an old song. I'm getting there, I guess. First Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul uh, repeats the idea. Rejoice always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. All cir- when it's good, when it's bad. When you're in trouble, when you're happy. When you're in trouble, when you're happy. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Prayer is appropriate in every situation. Our connection with God matters regardless of our circumstances. I'm sorry, does this go? Our connection with God matters regardless of our circumstances. That's easy to say amen when everything's going well. 
It's a little harder to say amen when things stink. But our connection with God matters in all circumstances. See, the Bible says pray continually. How am I supposed to do that? Like, I got to work. I got to go grocery shopping. It's not be on your knees continually. It's be connected with God continually. Walk in unity with God continually. Be in relationship with him, in a conversation relationship with him continually. I can do that while I'm at the grocery store. I can do that while I'm working. I don't have to be on my knees to be connected with him and speaking with him and hearing him and walking alongside him. Our connection with God matters regardless of our circumstances. And again, this is hard when things aren't going great. Earlier in this same book, James chapter one, James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials. When I read that, I just want to look back at James and say, shut up. But it's true, we consider it joy because uh, the testing of our faith produces perseverance. Our connection with God matters regardless of our situation. Let's keep reading, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Here's number two. God wants to intervene in our lives. God wants to intervene in our lives. Is anyone among you sick? That's a pretty natural thing. Like sickness is like, has anyone ever not been sick? Like you're just some miracle baby, just you can't get sick? I don't think so. Like we've all been sick at some point in our life. It's a pretty natural thing. God wants to intervene in your pretty natural thing. Is, any, is anyone among you sick? Let him call on the elders to pray. God wants to intervene in the natural. My God is an interventionist. There's nature. There's things that happen. My God is a God that wants to get in the way of it. I know because I've read the Bible. Over and over, there's things that happen and then God gets in the way of it. God intersects the natural course of time. God intersects the decisions that people make. God crosses paths with it. God is an interventionist. I don't think the application here is limited to physical sickness. I really don't. Don't be satisfied living sick. Don't just relent to your sickness, thinking it's it's a natural result of humanity. What's God able to do for me? Oh, like, read your Bible. All, like, chapter after chapter. Time is moving. Man is making decisions. Things are happening, and God intersects. God is an interventionist God. God wants to intervene in our lives. Is anyone among you sick? This verse says. Is anyone among you sick? How about... Is anyone among you bitter? There's more than one kind of sickness. Is anyone among you bitter? Is anyone among you envious, angry? Is anyone among you anxious? Does anyone among you deal with unexplained nervousness? There's more than one type of sickness. Is anyone among you afraid of human contact? Is anyone among you jealous? Is anyone among you sick from comparison, frozen from fear, or hindered by feelings of abandonment? Do I need to keep going? Is anyone among you sick from whatever? You don't need to be that way. You don't need to live that way. 
You don't need to go the rest of your life angry. You don't need to go the rest of your life bitter. You don't need to go the rest of your life hindered by feelings of abandonment. You can be free. God wants to intervene in your life. See, the, uh, there's a, the verse here says, uh, call on the elders of the church, so church leaders, others, believers, to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Why oil? Why oil? Some people think it has a medicinal um, reason, and oil was used medicinally in that time. But in the Old Testament, oil represents setting someone apart. So they would, they would anoint someone to be the king or anoint someone for, for a cause, for a purpose. So today when we anoint someone with oil for healing, we're saying, I'm setting you apart to God for, for your healing. Oil is also a representation of the Holy Spirit. So I'm applying the Holy Spirit to this situation. It's a representation. It's not that the Holy Spirit wasn't there and now he is, but it's a representation of the power of the Holy Spirit uh, moving on our lives. If you're sick, there's more than one type of sickness. If you're sick, you need other believers to pick you up and set you apart and take you to the throne of Jesus for healing. You may say, well, no, no, Adam, Adam, you don't understand. I'm angry because of the thing that happened to me. Well, duh. That doesn't justify it. That justifies an, an initial, that, adjust, that justifies your anger today, but that doesn't justify anger for the rest of your life. It doesn't justify bitterness for the rest of your life. It doesn't justify feelings of abandonment the rest of your life. God can heal the wound. You need other believers to pick you up and set you apart and take you to the throne of Jesus. If you're struggling with a sickness, there's more than one type of sickness. If you're struggling with a sickness, it's right and appropriate for you to ask someone else to pray for you. I do it all the time. I need prayer. But if you've been battling long-time spiritual issues, you need to engage with our deliverance process here at our church. You need to do it. This is the process that we have, and it's tried over and over again, and there's person after person after person, testimony after testimony after testimony of people who were sick and found healing. You don't need to stay that way. God wants to intervene in our lives. If you're interested in starting our deliverance process, or maybe you started it, but you're like, eh, and you kind of fizzled out, you're just waiting for your sign to get back into it. This is your sign to get back into it. Go to mynewhope.in slash get free or just mynewhope.in and look for the card that says get free. Maybe we have a host online that can post a link to it directly in the chat for people watching live. But you, you need to do it. You need to do it. It's the process that, that we have structured to fulfill this verse. If anyone among you is sick, get prayed for. Get set apart for the purpose of God. Let's continue on James' last words. James chapter 5, verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This whole final section of the scripture that I'm teaching on today, that whole section, verses, what is it, 13 through 20? 
all of it, I think, could be summarized with this phrase, pray for each other. Pray for each other. Here's number three. Powerful prayer is a dance with God. Powerful prayer is a dance with God. Verse 15 says, the prayer, that's my natural step. It's very natural. My mouth opens. My mind says, dear Jesus, please help. That's a natural thing that happens. So the prayer offered in faith, my spiritual step. There's a natural step and a spiritual step. And what's it lead to? It leads to the Lord raising them up. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Who raises them up? The Lord will raise them up. Powerful prayer is a dance with God. Does God just heal someone? Does he just raise someone up? Not often. Sometimes. Not often. There's usually a prayer in front of it. There's usually a request in front of it. There's times in the New Testament in the Gospels where people came to Jesus, like a blind man came to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, help me. And what's Jesus? Jesus, the all-knowing, powerful creator of the universe, sees a blind man in front of him, and what's he say? What do you want me to do for you? Boo. He wants a sight, Jesus. But Jesus wants an ask. He wants an ask. He's looking for an ask. Why? Powerful prayer is a dance with God. Does God just raise someone up? Not often. He waits for us to ask. It's not just a prayer that's effective. This verse, James 5.15, does not say the prayer will raise someone up. It's the prayer offered in faith. And he waits for us to ask. And it's not just the prayer. It's the prayer of the one who's dancing with God. The prayer offered in faith. It's like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. It wasn't until I was married that I was exposed to Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Man, like, I want to be Fred Astaire when I grow up. I imagine that being cool. Like, I wish I could do this, some of that stuff. And they're dancing together, and they just know exactly what to do, and they go. How many know marriage is a dance? I take the trash out. She puts the trash in. I mean the bag. Like, I take the bag out. She puts the bag, the bag, bag in. Marriage is a dance, and our relationship with God is a, is a dance. We do all the... We cooperate, we collaborate, and there's something beautiful that happens when we can dance with God. Powerful prayer is a dance with God. I got to drill down on this because it's huge, and I don't think you're getting it. The power is all God's. It's him. Yet, confess your sins one to another. The power is all God's, but this, this Bible says, confess your sins to each other. So what, what are we, chop liver? No. It takes two to tango. Powerful prayer is a dance with God. The power is all him, 
Yet, the Bible says confess our sins to each other. Why? So we can be administrators of God's healing and take it to others. I, I, can, I, I can just see some look on some men's eyes and s- some of the men in the room are thinking, a dance? Come on, I don't want to be no... You're comparing me to Ginger Rogers? Okay, fine. It's like an engine. Prayer is a powerful, uh, powerful engine. An engine can do a lot. There's a lot of power that can be created in it. And, 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 and the idea of, of this passage is that there is a great deal of potential power. If I, if I go to some hot rod car and I look at the engine, they're like, I see you under the hood. If I look under the hood, I have no idea what I'm looking at, but it's, if it's shiny, I'll say, whoo. <laughs> I'm not a car guy. So they lift the hood and I go, whoo. But even I know that if you don't put gas in the tank, it's useless. What good is that thing? There's not power in the engine. There's potential power in the engine. It's when there's a dance between the gasoline and the engine parts. Spark plugs. (laughs) It's when there's a dance. Combustion occurs. And we have some power. It's a dance between the parts. God wants to dance with us. Powerful prayer is a dance with God. God's not just going to do what God's going to do. Anyone ever thought that, heard that? God's going to do what God's going to do. So what are we? God is going to do what God's going to do, okay? He is sovereign. He is powerful. But Scripture is incredibly clear that he wants to collaborate with us. God's not just going to do what God's going to do. He dances with us. As I read verses 15 and 16, I see that God's intervening power, here's our life and here's his intervening power, God's interventionist power is linked to normal human beings following Jesus. This idea is astounding to me. But it's all over scripture. It's all over over scripture. We collaborate with God and powerful things happen. Creation. Where are we in creation? Well, there was nothing. So God, God started the creation process and then once, once mankind was there, we had the job to do. Hey, Adam, I need you to name those guys. We collaborated with God. That was the first dance with God. God miraculously caused two of every creature to come walking into an ark And he danced with Noah to build the ark. Jesus will return, but he dances with us to speed it along and have it come quicker. We hasten the day, 2 Peter 3.12. God needs volunteers for ministry, but he dances with us to get a harvest. We have to pray for laborers in the harvest, Luke 10.12. God wants justice in the world, but he waits for people to dance with him. He grants justice to those who keep asking day and night. Luke 18, God miraculously saved the world by dying on a cross and coming back to life, but he danced with 12 loser disciples to tell the rest of the world about it. Really, some of them were losers. I mean, at least we can all agree, at least one of them were. Judas. These were all uneducated disciples. They, They didn't have, you know, a pedigree of rabbinical following. 
Here's the summary of this idea. It's the bottom line, Luke 11. says, I say to you, this is Jesus talking, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who find, or seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. It doesn't say, just go walking along and everything's gonna go good. You know, there's a knock first. A dance with God. God wants to do something amazing and miraculous in your life. But he's gonna dance with someone before you ever see the breakthrough. Maybe you. God wants to collaborate with us to bring the intervention. James tries to make this, this, this concept crystal clear, and he continues it in verse 17. Elijah was a human being. Even so, I'm sorry, even as we are, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the harvest, I'm sorry, the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Here's number four. Powerful prayer is something everyone can do. Powerful prayer is something everyone can do. This is really important because you see, James just said the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. And so that would give, you know, the really humble ones, oh, you know, I'm not, we can have an excuse. I'm not righteous enough, so I don't want you to pray. No, 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 no. Elijah was a human just like us. Yet he prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And he prayed again and then down it came. He's not letting that excuse go. Prayer, powerful prayer is something everyone can do. I got to thinking of this, this idea. Why did James use Elijah? Like, if you wanted us to, to be able to identify with powerful prayer, like, why didn't he use, like, like a lesser-known prophet, like, you know, like Habakkuk, or, like, somebody that didn't get a whole book named after him? I think that was exactly, I mean, he picked who he wanted to pick. Even Elijah was a normal dude. And so a normal dude, I'm looking at some normal dudes right now, a normal dude with the power of God, with faith, can do what Elijah did. Are you following? This is what James said. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Elijah was awesome and powerful. But he was also kind of a loser in some ways. He was known for awesome and power, but he was also, at times, known for his hunger. At times, he was known for his fear. At times, he was known for his depression. The most, one of the most amazing miracles in the Bible is, is a story of Elijah, and immediately after, he ran away and hid and said, I wish I were dead. The dude had some depression. He was a normal dude. He was a normal dude. Elijah was a normal dude, even as we are. So if God can do something awesome through him, he could do something awesome through us. All humans can be heard. All humans can be heard by God. All Christians can walk with that power. Did anybody collect baseball cards or basketball cards, sports cards when you were younger? Can I, I just want to see some people. When you were younger, maybe you still do. Yeah, I, had, I, I have some. 
I've got books in a closet. And you see, the, the way that works is, is uh, most of them, even you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, most of those cards were rather worthless. They were worth like two cents, according to the book. You called them a common. They were, they were the commons. Oh, that's just a common. You know, what, what, my favorite common card was a baseball card of Bobby Valentine. And it was given to me by another kid in elementary school. And he said, do you want a Valentine card? And I said, sure. <laughs> and he gave me Bobby Valentine. I was like, oh, okay, wah, wah. But most, most of the cards were just a common. They were just commons. But you looked at them, you know, if there was an error, if there was an error on the card, like then it became valuable because they didn't make very many of those. They usually caught the error and didn't keep printing them. Others of them, they just didn't make very many out of them. And in the United States of America, it is very easy uh, in our culture, especially when you're in a conservative area, it is very easy in our culture to see yourself as a common. I'm just a Bobby Valentine. You know, we're in a room full of Christians right now. Maybe there's a few that aren't Christians yet, but we're mostly Christians in this room. I'm just a Bobby Valentine. I'm just a, I'm just a common. I'm just a common card. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And if God can do that through a common, he can do it through a common like you and me. See, the truth is, you're not a common. You're a Michael Jordan Upper Deck Gold Addiction Signature Series rookie card. You don't toss that one in the book. You put that one in a plexiglass frame with little screws in the corner and take it to Rick Harrison. That's what you do with that. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You are a child of God. You are a son. You are a daughter. And he's given you a large amount of power to administrate on his behalf. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a normal dude and he did awesome stuff because of the power of God. Powerful prayer is something everyone can do. James continues this thought of praying for one another, but he sends a curveball here in the last couple of verses. Let's pick up in verse 19. He says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. Here's number five. Use prayer to bring the lost back to God. Use prayer to bring the lost back to God. See, there's two types of relationships. We have passing relationships. These are relationships that I have for a moment and then I don't. It's like the person that checks me out at Walmart. Buying a stick of gum, they say, hi, how are you? That's a passing relationship. In that relationship, I am to present the gospel. However, it's appropriate in that moment. When passing relationships, we take daily opportunities to present the gospel. In something that lasts, in a relationship that lasts 30 seconds, that's usually a smile. It's behaving as Christ would in that situation at that moment. And then there's permanent relationships. Permanent relationships aren't like temporary, they, they last. This is coworkers, this is family members. When you have an unsaved 
family member, you don't take daily opportunities. You're just going to be, you're going to be like the jerk. You're going to be that guy. You take daily prayers. You use daily prayers and wait for God to give you the opportunity. When they are in a change, challenge, or crisis, they're going to be receptive to the gospel. So we use daily prayers. The band can come on up. James' last words in a summary is pray for each other. We have a responsibility to pray for each other. We're not irrelevant in the God story. We're a big part of the God story. That's the burden I'm carrying today. We are a part of the God story. We are a part of God's work in the world. Do you want to see God work? When I was talking about God's an interventionist and he wants to intersect life, he doesn't just want life to go on without him. He wants to intersect it. There was a lot of eyebrows up. There was a lot of nods. It was, yeah, God wants to do something great. Mm -hmm. But something's not fitting because I'm not seeing that same look when I say it doesn't happen without you. Do you want God to intersect the world? Do you believe that God can impact life? He doesn't do it without you. He doesn't often do it without believers. We are an important part of this. There's three, three people I want to talk to, three challenges today. The first is if anyone has not ever received Jesus as your Savior. This, this, the, the final bit here is the last words of James is if anybody's lost, we should pray. We should pray that they come. We're going to do that. I, w- I want you to be thinking about any non-saved people in your life. We're going to pray for them this morning. But I don't want to do that without giving an opportunity if anyone doesn't know Jesus as your Savior. Can I have every eye closed, every head bowed? I'm just going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a second. If you know in your heart that you've not asked Jesus to be your Savior and you want to commit your life to him, I'm going to count to three. Would you just stick your hand up? It's a sign of faith to God. It's just going to going to be assigned to God. No one else is looking. One, two, three. If you want to receive Jesus, if you want to say yes to God, raise your hand up. If you're worshiping online, you can click right in the public chat. There's a spot to say yes to Jesus. Yes. Lord, I thank you for the hands raised. Lord, we admit that we're a sinner. We believe that you died for us. We confess that you are Lord. We trust you. Thank you for entering our life and saving us. Amen. Amen. If you raised your hand in the room or if you uh, raised your hand online, I want to encourage you uh, to come see a pastor or, or a leader or someone at the prayer team and let them know that you made that decision. Or if you're, of course, if worshiping online, click the little button and, and engage with the host. We want to help you figure out your next step. Second group I want to talk to today is, the, is people that know somebody that's not saved. It should be about 100%. So we're, we're, we're going to read this just one more time. James, James chapter 5. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. This is in the context of prayer. Every verse in front of this is prayer. 
So it's fitting for us to pray that God gives us an opportunity. So it's pretty much 100% that everyone in the room knows somebody that's not saved. And I hope it's pretty close to 100% of people that will be willing to walk through the door when God gives you an opportunity to present the gospel to them or pray with them. Can I pray for you? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the compassion you have for your people and the collaboration you want to do with, with us to cause something great to happen in the world. Lord, we, uh, right now we're thinking about some people or a person that's not saved, that doesn't know you. And uh, Lord, we want them to know you. Maybe we've been praying for them for a long time. Maybe they're a family member. We, we want this person to know you. Just get them in your heart. Get them in front of you. Lord, we pray for these people to be moved. Lord, we've done what we can do. And I, I, I pray you do what only you can do, God. We're gonna take our natural steps this week, the next two weeks, Lord, as you give us opportunity to present the gospel, we'll take the step. But Lord, we are asking for your super to mix with our natural steps. We want something supernatural to occur. So Lord, I pray that you would put these people in a situation of change, challenge, or crisis so that they will be receptive to you and they can find salvation through you and full life, full life would flow to them through us. You can use us to do it. Yes. Lord, I pray you'd give your people opportunities yes. to present you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? I want to encourage all of us to raise our faith. What is it that you're praying for? What is it that you're waiting for? Our God is an interventionist. Can we say that with, together? God is an interventionist. God is an interventionist. He wants to work with us and through us. Let's sing this song and build our faith. Amen. Yes.